Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron Sports Podcast. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another night of uh, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Podcast. We're presented, of course, by Chef G's Florida Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting. You may need a support group, and you've got Alan and I for the next hour and 15 minutes or so. As tonight we will have a lot of good discussion about, uh, well, everything in the world of sports, uh, especially uh, week six of the NFL and, of course, uh, the Major League Baseball playoffs. Without further ado, uh, tonight, Alan is on the line with us as well. Good evening, Alan. How are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Doing really well. We don't have to think about hurricanes, at least for right now. So you got a big <laughs> smile on my face. <laughs> I'm doing great. Good to hear that. Uh, this is our show for, I normally say the date at the very beginning. Tonight is October 14th, uh, 2022. Got a lot to get to here tonight. Uh, playoffs are going on. Uh, looks like uh, in the bottom of the second uh, game, I guess it's game three between the Dodgers and the Padres. Padres are up one to nothing. Uh, they're making that a good series there with uh, with uh, Los Angeles. Um, looks like they're out of the uh, second inning now, so and then, of course, earlier today, uh, the Guardians tied up the Yankees at one game apiece um, with a 4-2 to two win. I believe it was in 10 innings, if I'm not mistaken, over the Yankees. And then uh, this is the one I hate to report tonight. Uh, afternoon, uh, 4 o'clock or 4.30 start between Atlanta and Philadelphia. That series was tied at one game apiece, and Philadelphia just broke that game wide open. They ended up winning 9-1, to one, and they take a two-game swing lead on Atlanta now. In that series, a win tomorrow for Philadelphia moves them on to the National League Championship Series. So um, a lot of stuff to talk about here tonight. Uh, Looking down the notes here, we've got uh, NFL obviously in full swing. We've got a lot of big news from that uh, side of things as well. Um, Why don't we get started here tonight? Uh, First thing I wanted to say here this evening, um, as uh, of course the baseball playoffs are going on, some sad news coming out of the ball world over the last uh, 24 or so hours um, Bruce Suter, who was a great pitcher in the 70s and 80s with uh, primarily the Cardinals. He did play for the Braves a little bit uh, during his career, and I think he was also with the Cubs, if memory serves me correctly, passed away at age 69. Hall of Famer, um, great pitcher, uh, very endearing presence uh, on the mound, uh, big guy, um, had the big, you know, kind of overgrown bushy beard uh, as that was the popular look back in those days. And he fit that very well. Uh, he'll truly be missed. He was very popular in St. Louis. And then uh, another very sad story um, as a young 20 year old pitcher in the Philadelphia Phillies minor league system by the name of Corey, I believe it's pronounced a feeling P H E L A N earlier this year, he announced that he had cancer and unfortunately passed away here in the last few days. So, um, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio podcast, we always want to pay homage, pay tribute to those uh, from the sports world that have passed on. Um, you know, a veteran Hall of Fame pitcher and a young man that had his whole life ahead of him, unfortunately, uh, loses his battle with cancer. So tonight we want to um, give a moment of silence to both uh, both of those individuals here on our show. 
All right. And again, uh, as I mentioned before, Bruce Suter, uh, age 69, Hall of Famer with the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, 300 plus saves in his big league career, uh, passed away. I believe it was yesterday. And then Corey Phelan on Wednesday, a former minor league uh, ball player with the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, tonight, we're going to have some great discussions. Uh, obviously, um, as I've alluded to a few times here already, NFL is in full swing. Baseball playoffs have been very dramatic, and uh, obviously we love to talk about all those things. We always love to talk about it with our good buddy Lou, who is joining us here tonight. So let me go ahead and bring Lou on. Uh, Lou, how are you tonight? All right, Aaron, thanks. Well, I was going to say it was a better performance for the Yankees today, but no. I mean, they had early, but then they just lost control. And Judge has an absolutely nothing in the first two games so far. Yeah, you're right about that. I'm actually – what are your thoughts on this, Lou? Do you think they should be still putting Aaron Judge leadoff at this point? No, no. It was one thing we was trying to chase a record uh, to bring the home run in America. But now is not the time to do it. You, you shouldn't have him uh, up first at bat all. No. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Aaron? Well, there's I, – I didn't understand why a few years ago – you know, so you have Judge there in, uh, in New York. Let me make the comparison here to Atlanta with Acuna. Obviously, he's a home run hitting outfielder as well. And so I never did understand until recently the reason why they batted him leadoff. It was basically to get him an extra bat per game pretty much. And so I can understand that mentality during the regular season um, because obviously you want to um, try to get him, Judge in this case, to the plate as many times as you possibly can. Um, the downside to that is I don't think that – I'm not saying the Yankees lineup is bad, but I, I, I feel like if they had a little bit more of a stretched-out lineup, that probably would be the right decision to make. But here's the thing. You need to get some guys ahead of him that can get on base because here's the, here's the thing about this playoffs that I've noticed so far. With exception of today's game where Philadelphia scored nine runs on the Braves, runs are at a premium. You're not going to get a, a whole lot of those. You don't get a lot of opportunities. There's such great pitching in the postseason – that two or three runs might be the difference in, you know, in a game. So if you have guys that are at the top of the lineup that are better getting on base guys, maybe guys that aren't as big a power hitters, you give Aaron Judge a chance to drive those guys in or even make the other manager have to make the decision, do I pitch to Judge or do I walk him, even though there might be somebody behind him that might be able to do the damage. So those are the questions I think you have to look at. And, you know, I Postseason strategy, to some degree, has to be a little bit different than what you do in the regular season, because in the regular season you can lose a couple games, and you can, you know, trial by trial by fire, if you will. You make a couple mistakes, you say, okay, last time we faced this guy three weeks ago, we did this and it didn't work out. You do that in the playoffs, and you're out. You know, you're done. Your your season's over with. So, um, that's just my take on it. No, that's a great take, and I agree with Lou. I just feel as if he they should consider moving him down on the lineup, not, I mean, maybe second or third, because you're absolutely right. Runs are at a premium, but if he smacks a 500-foot home run, there's a very good possibility there won't be anybody on base. So that is just one run at the end of the day. I know runs are a premium, but I would personally like to have him at least batting second or third. I, I think first it made sense during the home race, and it actually made a lot of sense because he he didn't have a lot of room to play with to get to 62. You know, he had a dry week for two weeks. And then before mm-hmm. you know it, he got it. The next game he took off and that was the end of the season. 
Well, the other thing so, too, I throw out there, and I, I would throw this out there for the regular season to some degree too. You know, everybody wants to see home runs. Home runs are the sexy thing in baseball. You know, especially the yeah. you, you go back to the to the McGuire you know era, and I happen to be you know fortunate enough to grow up watching. You didn't want to see cheap home runs. You didn't want to see the ball just barely clear the wall. You wanted to see the ball in the upper deck, you know, where nobody thinks they're going to catch one, where your nose is bleeding because you're so high up in the air. And so I've always said this as a baseball purist. Um, yes, it's fun to watch that stuff. There's no question about it. But at the end of the day, I would rather have a bloop two-run single to right field than a 550-foot home run today. With, nobody, with nobody on base. You know, because all, all that is is one run. So, um, you know, I, I just – Especially in the playoffs, you know, every hit, every error, every walk seems to come back and be magnified ten times over. Um, you know, that's just how it goes. And I, I, I think that I don't want to say Aaron Boone is managing for his job, but you know, if they if they lose these next two or two games or they lose this series, there's a guy named Don Mattingly out there now who's looking for a job potentially. And you know, you never know. The Yankees might pull the trigger and go a different direction. Yeah, that's you know, Luke could even tell you that. They, you never know what the Yankees. They they're willing to they'll put you yeah. know, there's no exception to the rule. And even watching that that documentary, the captain, had Jeter yeah. stick around for one more season, I think it was gonna end very bad for him, is what my takeaway from the yeah. captain. If he stayed one more year to try to get another contract, I think it was gonna be a really poor thing for both sides. It wasn't going to end well, yeah. but thankfully he did retire, and that didn't become an issue. But based on watching the captain, the Yankees, there is no exception to the rule. Yeah, and, and you know, honestly, I think the big thing that I took away from that uh, that documentary, which, by the way, I, I would definitely recommend if you haven't seen it out there, um, the captain on ESPN. It's I think on some of their streaming um, streaming services they have. The thing I took away from that was Jeter basically said, I'm not going to be one of these guys who's wishy-washy about retirement. When I know, I'll know. And, Alan, I know you personally. I know when you retired uh, two and a half years ago, the very first thing that came out of your mouth was, when you know, you know. And, and Derek Jeter said that exact same thing, uh, I guess mm-hmm. it's been eight years ago now. Hey, I'm, I'm going to retire at the end of the season. I, you know, there's not any going back. I've thought about this. I've given it plenty of thought. And, that's what I'm doing. So that, that I, I definitely agree with you on. It would have been a mess, and it would have, it would have been just a mess for, for Jeter and the Yankees. It would have been a mess for the whole entire, you know, organization uh, player-wise, too. I think if that had happened, it would have probably torn the clubhouse and, you know, caused a lot of, uh, of controversy in that sense, too. So it's probably a good thing he did do it when he did, and you're 100% correct on that. Thanks. Yeah, you just know, when you know, you know. You know, it's just it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a feeling that you get when you just know – and it's it's unshakable, like it's very clear and obvious, and it's not something that someone could tell you. It's something that you have to kind of feel for yourself, experience for yourself. You know, you just know. Yeah, you know, I remember when Deion Sanders when he retired, he he basically said similar things. Like I just knew it was time. It was just time. It wasn't anything bad or anything. It's just you just know when it's time to move on. But the, you know the Yankees. They will – the moral of the story is there is no exception to the rule. If you are a person that the Yankees feel are not is not producing, they will let you go. 
Yeah, I mean, you can go back and look at some names uh, that, that this kind of happened with. I mean, I, I think that there – I don't know the specifics, but I think that there was probably a mutual pushing out or that there was a pushing out from the Yankee side of things with Don Mattingly as a player uh, back in 95. You know, you look at how they basically tossed Bernie Williams aside like he was nothing after the 06 season. He never never played anywhere else uh, after that. And then, you know, um, at the end of Tino Martinez, is a great run – from 96 to yeah. 2001, they pushed him aside and, you know, went out and got Jason Giambi. So it's not an uncommon thing. It's understandable, too, in a sports world. You want to get the best players out there. But, you know, the, the point you're making there is, you know, when they're done with you, it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, that's right. So, Lou, yeah. what do you got cooking, cooking on your show? Well, talk about more of the playoffs, um, of course. Uh, well, I'll discuss uh, the uh, MLB uh, nom- award nominations as they're coming up. Um, I might throw in about the hot seat for the coaches in the NFL because there's been some uh, rumors there who should be in the hot seat and maybe some who should not be there. So I'll have to look at that as well. College and NFL predictions as well. And uh, we'll look at the first few days of the hockey season uh, as it's just going to start on Tuesday. Uh, remember now, we're on a new time now. Uh, the time will now be 4 o'clock and not 5. We'll go from 4 to 6 Eastern time starting tomorrow. Number and day are still the same, 512-543-4662 on Saturdays. So if you got time for that, um, you know, feel free to call in. I had to do it because there's a, a conflict with another network, another show on the network, so, um, so I had to get moved up an hour. Hopefully uh, people will call in and, you know, It'll be the same show you know and love, so uh, keep that in mind. And, of course, with the uh, new time slot, uh, the new early time slot, it's less filling and it tastes great, too. Okay. <laughs> Are you feeling better? Are you feeling better? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, except for the third eye, and, you know, that's the going. <laughs> the swing went down from that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I have weird side effects. I mean, you know, I was turning, I was turning like, a, I was turning into a, to a beast. Don't give ah, it's awful. Ugh. Wow. Well, yeah, you're a trooper, yeah, man. You're hanging here. I admire your. I was a very strange creature. It was, it was like, ah, I can't even look myself in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> I admire your tenacity. So definitely, from Thanks. four to six now, four to six Saturday tomorrow. Yes. Five one two five four three four six six two five one two. Five four three four six six two. Make sure you call right. to our buddy Lou and wish him a definitely get well soon. I'm all I'm all better now though, so we're pretty okay, good. Good, good job. <laughs> all right, well Lou, thanks for joining us tonight, and you have a great weekend, of course. <clears throat> thanks, fellas. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You are. All right, so our great buddy Lou that joined us there this evening. We want to thank him, of course, for taking time out of his Friday night. And, um, of course, uh, definitely uh, we encourage everyone to support the Enhanced Sports Show. Now is a good time, uh, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's New York time, Boston time, Washington, D.C. time, Atlanta time, all that good stuff. So um, let's get right into it here tonight. Um, You know, we've got a lot of NFL stuff going on. First uh, casualty of the NFL season. I kind of saw this one coming a mile away. Matt Rule, who signed that huge contract just a couple years ago to be the new head coach of the uh, Carolina Panthers and obviously brought in about every quarterback that he possibly could. And 
never really developed uh, there with uh, with Carolina. You look at where they started three and zero last year, and they just never got back on track after that great start to last season. So he's out um, in Carolina. What are your thoughts on this? Was this a surprise to you, or was this kind of something you saw coming too? It was a little surprise because it was so early in the season. I, I kind of saw it coming, but I didn't expect him to get kind of relieved of his duties so early in the year. You know, um, I, I don't think Carolina has been that bad. I have to put some of this on a few things. I do believe that Christian McCaffrey, he's unreliable. The guy's an uh, outstanding back, but he gets hurt too often. And, yeah, Baker Mayfield, the decision to go with Baker Mayfield was was really his undoing because when you decide to go with a Baker Mayfield and you get losses like this, unfortunately, when you stick your neck out there like that, these are the ramifications when the team doesn't do well. I would have liked to see him at least get two more games and see how it goes, but I was a little surprised at the timing. I'm not surprised that they did let him go. Yeah, I'm not surprised that he was fired because, again, I, I, you'd heard, uh, you know, rumors about this, you know, potentially for a little while. I thought maybe it would happen a little later in the season. What I think happened, though, and why it happened so early is I think the, he just lost the direction of the team. And ultimately, they determined that it just wasn't a good fit. And I'm sure there's probably some more stuff behind the scenes that we're not, you know, aware of that probably led to this, you know, ultimately happening. Biggest thing I see, though, too, is even if the Panthers had been, you know, a 10-win team or an 8-win team where they were, you know, right in the thick of things maybe for a wild card spot, Matt Rule, who came from Baylor, he was at Baylor just a couple of years ago as their head coach, turned that program all the way around. His name has been coming up awful, uh, off an awful lot here uh, recently uh, for going back to the college ranks. And I, I definitely see him as a possible candidate at Auburn, um, there, you know, a possible candidate um, – you know, in a few other places uh, out there as well. Nebraska is certainly going to be, you know, they're already in the process looking for a head coach. Um, and there may be a few other uh, fairly decent-sized jobs out there at the college level that he might be a good fit for. So um, I don't think he'll be having to worry too much. Uh, you know, he's going to be getting a pretty good chunk of money for basically not doing anything or taking another job somewhere else. I don't think he's going back to the NFL, though. I think that um, a lot of times you bring these guys in from the college level they don't work out, and this is not a new thing. We've seen this happen with plenty of other guys from the collegiate level. Um, two years, three years in, and they're, they're back, uh, you know, looking for a job at the college level. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him coaching somewhere else uh, in the NCAA next year. Um, certainly, is a good coach, just didn't work out for him there in Carolina. Yeah, you're exactly right. A lot of it's, you know, coaching in the NFL and coaching in the NCAA. It's two different things, two different beasts. In college, the collegiate level, you have a lot more control over the players. You actually have their their careers are really in your hand. If you don't want to play someone, you bench them. You give them a bad rap to some of the people who are trying to recruit them, who are trying to draft them. You have a lot more power. In the NFL, the guys are millionaires. They're grown men. Well, they you know they they age wise, but you don't have as much power over them. You don't have as much power over them. It's a different ball game altogether, you know, and it's not a good fit for everybody. Some guys can do it both well, but that's rare. More likely you're going to see one that's going to excel in others. Matt Rule has nothing to complain about. He's got a fat check, 
And as you mentioned, he could always go down to the collegiate level and get another great job there. So I don't think he's, it's really going to be that bad of a thing for him. I don't think he was, he did that poorly to get snipped that early though. Yeah. That, that, that's why it leads me to believe that there was something else aside from the, the bottom line, which is the win loss record, something else had to trigger this happening, you know, and it, it could very well be, and I'm just speculating here that, you know, maybe they went to uh, the ownership or, or, you know, management went to him and said, you know, what are we going to do to turn this around? And if he didn't have a good answer at that point, that sometimes can be, you know, the, um, the ultimate, uh, you know, doomsday, if you will, because look, you and I both come from a sales background and you know that the number one thing that you have to have, and look, coaching is, is in a lot of ways a sales job. You had to sell yourself on getting hired by that team. If you do not have this one thing called confidence, then you're really nothing. doesn't matter how good your tactics are. The confidence that goes underneath all that is the number one thing that makes you be successful. And I think if maybe they went to him and he just wasn't confident in the answers he was providing, that was them saying, hey, you know what? We made a mistake in hiring you. We're going to move on to somebody else. You're absolutely right. And his name slipped my mind, but the, the quote doesn't. In the movie The Short Game, one of the kids, a 10, 11-year-old boy, said, you can go out here and practice all day long golf, but if you have no confidence, you're not going to do that well. So you have to have confidence. You know, that all that practice and preparation has to motivate you into having more confidence. And when you lose confidence in anything, unfortunately, the result is usually not going to be a good thing. Yeah, 100%. I think that's probably – again, I'm speculating here. don't know this for a fact, but – I'm assuming that may have been part of it. And, you know, sometimes the other thing, too, that we don't know um, being on the outside of it is sometimes, you know, there's a rift between the general manager and the head coach. Guys have big egos. Um, So sometimes those things play a role in it, too. But I think the overall direction that they were going in was not one that they felt was, uh, was, you know, strong enough for them to, you know, maintain him as – as our coach moving forward again, you, you're right though. He gets a fat paycheck. I'd take that any day of the week uh, for sure. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, talking about character and I, I don't want to necessarily, you know, dent this individual's character uh, too much, but you know, obviously uh, he'd been with the Packers for a long time, goes to the Raiders this off season. Uh, speaking of Devonte Adams and his uh, shove of a cameraman here uh, recently in a game. And does that warrant a suspension from, the National Football League. What are your thoughts on that? As much as I like Devontae Adams, and he's a good, uh, great guy from what all accounts I can see, this was poor judgment on Devontae Adams' part. You know, I, I will tell you this much, that when it comes to fellas in the NFL, you have to have what's called emotional intelligence. You can't – I know you're frustrated. Your team is one in four. You just lost the game. But you got to remember, your actions are always on camera. You push the guy down. You didn't, you didn't help him up. Then you had time to think about it when you went in the locker room, said, I better say something because it's going to turn really bad for me. And guess what? That's why you apologize. It was a lame duck, poor apology. Devontae Adams did something really poor in Bush League. And to answer your question, yes, I do think the league should suspend him at least a game. And more, and more often than not, the reason why you have to do this is to prevent somebody else from acting out and doing the same. Unfortunately, yes, you got to set an example. The NFL is a copycat league, both on and off the field. 
And if you don't set an example, some reporter or some other congressman, lo and behold, you'll find out they'll get pushed too. So you got to set an example and nip it in the bud, say one game, find them, and then that's it. As much as I like Devontae Adams, you did a Bush League play, and I will talk more about Devontae after I get your response. What are your thoughts? No, I agree. I think it warrants a one-game suspension. And, you know, this is um, kind of reminds me, you go back to the 90s uh, with uh, Dennis Rodman when he, uh, I think he was still with the Bulls at the time, fell out of bounds. I think he was going for a rebound. Um, and there was a cameraman, you know, those guys in the NBA, they're basically right on the floor holding the the um, the mobile camera, and he kicked the guy right in the crotch, unfortunately. And obviously <laughs> yeah, the guy was in a lot of pain yeah. and – and you know Rodman, that was kind of, that was kind of his mo though. He was kind of that that bad boy type of, of player. Um, it was something that was more expected out of him, I guess, uh, in comparison to Devontae Adams. But I know that um, and I don't remember what the length of time was, but I know that Rodman got suspended, and I believe he got fined as well. And so I, I think that the league, the league expects high things out of you. The fans should expect high things out of you. He made a mistake. He'll he'll pay for it. I'm sure he'll he'll get a nice fine and a, a, a one game suspension. That's not going to help the Raiders any. They're already in trouble. So, um, but uh, you know, he, he definitely. I, I think it definitely warrants because again, the league doesn't want that to be what's representing the league. And here's the unfortunate thing: you have all these guys in the league that do great things. They they donate money and time, and they support charities and donate for different causes and things like that. But the thing that's going to happen, and this is the thing that bothers me the most about this situation. Those things don't get talked about enough, and this is going to be the headline of the bad stuff off the field is what Devontae Adams did. So that's why the it's league a, needs to step up. Yeah, that's why the league needs to step up and, and like you said, nip this in the butter right up, you know, right up front and make an example out of Guy. Uh, there's no reason not to do that. Yeah, so. it's unfortunate. You're absolutely right. People are going to talk about this. He, you know, he could do – during the week, he could have went to two or three chattable you know, events – and he could even donate money, and people really don't talk about that. But the, the push, they will, you know. And the guy, he already he filed charges against him, and you know he's going to try to get the bag. But this is what happens. You cannot put yourself in that position. You are target. You being somebody successful, this is what people do. You cannot make it easy for them. And I think Devontae Adams made it very easy. You have to have emotional intelligence. The other thing I'm going to say about Devontae Adams, and this is not just Devontae it's also Russell Wilson. When you leave a great team like the Packers, you're one win away to go into the Super Bowl, and you go to another team, there's a good chance that when you – it's not even a good chance. There is a high probability, even with you being a great player, that when you go to a new team, it's not going to be the same situation that you left from. You, and hence the reason why you got a big bag, because there's going to be some crap that you're going to have to deal with that you didn't have to deal with with your old team. So when yeah. you sign these big contracts, it's not going to be the same. Like, you're not going to just jump on a team. You don't have Aaron Rodgers. You don't have the same team. You don't have Aaron you know, Jones back there. There's going to be a trade-off. You're taking a bag, but the things are not going to be interchangeable just because you joined the team. I think that has some frustration along with the losing season, and it boiled over. And – this is what happens when you trade wins for a bag. Yep. Yeah, he had it all in Green Bay. I mean, obviously they they've been uh, one win away or one game away from going to the Super Bowl a couple of years now. Um, they're 
in uh, in Green Bay versus you know the Raiders who haven't really done anything lately. I mean, you have to go back. They were in the playoffs a few years ago, of course, but you have to really go back 20 years to see when they last really made a real good run. That was when they were in the Super Bowl and, of course, lost to Tampa Bay. So, um, you know, I, I think that – and, you know, even the ridiculous comments that Devontae made, you know, comparing Aaron Rodgers to, to Derek Carr right before training camp started, you know, I think – Buyer's remorse, I would certainly say that he's probably feeling that now. He's in a, a much different situation. Oh, yeah. um, and the supporting cast isn't even there either, because at least in Green Bay, you get some other people who can kind of deflect things. Now you're the, uh, you know, other than Derek Carr and, of course, Josh McDaniels, you're the biggest name there. So who who, who are they going to blame mostly uh, for this bad season they're having right now? You know, they're going to go to the guy who, who made the biggest noise with, making a bonehead decision and that's going to be him so yeah i mean so when you take the bag just understand that you're going to be taking along some some headaches and some things that are not going to be as favorable same thing that's happening with tyreek hill you're left the chiefs that is i mean you don't usually leave a team like the chiefs in 99 percent of the times or 98 let's say 98 percent of the time and get a better situation it normally doesn't work out that way you know, sometimes you do, but more often than not, you don't. And, you know, you can't get too mad at people just because you're kind of frustrated the way things are going because you took the bag. There's a trade-off. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So now moving on to another situation that may have um, may have some, uh, you know, off-the-field ramifications. you got Tom Brady uh, there in Tampa. And I'm going to give you my opinion on this one right off the bat. Uh, that game <laughs> Sunday between Tampa Bay and Atlanta. Atlanta actually drove back, and I, I see the Falcons as actually being maybe in the next year or two the team to beat in that NFC South because they, first of all, they get a lot of talent. They really probably should have come back and won that game Sunday in Tampa Bay. I really feel like it was an awful, awful call. Now, I'm just looking at this just from a football perspective, not you know, invested in any team that I was rooting for, wanting to see win or interest in who the, the player itself was, that was a terrible call to call roughing the passer. It, it was definitely not uh, slamming the quarterback to the ground. But then on top of that, while Brady is down, he's kicking at the defender, which that probably should have gotten a penalty right there, but they throw the, the flag on the defender. And then, you know, there's talk now that um, after it's been reviewed by the league officials, there might be a fine uh, going towards Tom Brady. What are your thoughts on that? It, you know, it, that is a fact. Tom Brady is – he's gotten a fine, 11000 he, he did. Okay. Yeah, he did get a fine. I, I really thought that Tom Brady got uh, a GOAT call. He, yeah. That was not rubbing the passer. He got a GOAT call, and it was unfortunate. I watched the game. It was unfortunate. It was, for, for Bucks fans, it was fortunate, but it really was unfortunate – for the for Atlanta, they got they really. Not only did he get that hometown call, he also got the pass interference call. So I do think the the Bucks would have found a way to win the game, but the Falcons were making it very very interesting. That call pretty much sealed the fate, though. The the roughing the passer call pretty much sealed the game at that point, and it was a hometown goat call. He did not land on him. He did not really do anything to really hurt Tom Brady. Tom Brady tried to kick him, 
and they didn't even call a flag on that. So that just shows you there's a different set of rules for who, who you, who's being tackled and who's the participants in a controversial call. Because Tom Brady kicked the guy and they didn't even flag him or say anything about it. They just ignored it. <laughs> but yet they felt as if this guy landed on Tom Brady. This is a GOAT call. And, yes, Tom is right. He doesn't make – he doesn't call, throw the flags. But he got a hometown call, and this is part of being a GOAT. Also, it's like the Michael Jordan thing. You know, you're going to get the hometown call from time to time. Same thing with Michael Jordan. And having said that, we have a call on the line. Let's bring him on the line. Welcome to the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. How you doing? Yeah, I'm cool, man. What's going on? Oh, doing great. Thank you for asking about yourself. How you been? Chilling, man. Not much. That's good to hear. Really. What, what you guys getting into tonight, though? We were talking about that Tom Brady roughing the passer call and those calls and pretty much in the NFL that they've been getting to a lot of the quarterbacks. What are your thoughts on those unnecessary roughness calls? <laughs> yeah, some of them are going to be uh, funny, man. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, after the tour hit, I could see uh, – like, you know how this thing goes with officials. Something happens, then they send out the memos, and they show you the tape, hey, we're looking for this, this, and this, and this. So then sometimes officials get tuned up thinking about that. So he saw, you know, the similar role, I guess you could say, uh, to the tour thing with Brady and then overreacted because it was nowhere near the impact, nowhere near the force, and, of course – Brady was fine because it just wasn't that bad of a hit. So he overreacted. But then another part of the NFL, just period, is like if you're a young up-and-coming team or a team that we could say is not a, you know, name brand, you, you just don't get the call. You don't get the benefit of the doubt. And and the teams that are so-called branded, they do. So it's just, you know, that's just an aspect of officiating. You're just going to have to deal with if you're going to watch the NFL because it's going to be there every week. No, yeah, you're exactly right. Go, go ahead, Eric. Point. Yeah, I was going to say, the thing that I, I don't understand why the NFL hasn't ever gone to this, you, you, if you watch the college game, so in college there's you know, obviously some different rules, the one foot in, um, you know, uh, there's a few other things that are a little bit different as far as you know, the way things go. So in college they have targeting, which uh, you know, I don't like. I think it's a terrible rule at least the part where they throw the guy out of the game if they get caught targeting. But what happens in the college ranks is if they suspect targeting, they call it on the field, but it gets reviewed by a replay official. So I don't understand why the NFL, in all the glory that it supposedly has, has not gone to a situation where maybe they throw a flag, but they say we're going to review that to see if it was actually considered to be unnecessary roughness. Because if you look at every single replay from every single angle of that tackle on Sunday on Tom Brady there in Tampa. It didn't matter what angle you look at that from, it was not rough in the passer. So I, I, you know, I like what you said there about, you know, bringing out those memos and yeah, usually what happens, you have those knee jerk reactions, guys get a little too sensitive to it. It's kind of like you're fine tuning something, but you fine tuned it too far one direction. And now the memo will go out this week. Well, we got to fine tune it the other way and figure out where the happy medium is. To me, the happy medium would be setting up a situation where, Maybe you throw a flag, but on those types of, of plays, if it's considered unnecessary roughness, let it get reviewed. What's the harm in doing that? Because that cost Atlanta a chance to win that game Sunday. And in my opinion, I wasn't rooting for Atlanta, 
But that's just, to me, it seems kind of like you were saying there, they're not a branded team right now. Tampa's a branded team because they won a Super Bowl two years ago. You have the greatest quarterback to ever play the game and Tom Brady, you know, playing quarterback. And my God, the guy gets away with kicking a guy. They don't even throw a flag for it. So <laughs> I just feel like that would be the, the right decision is to, to add that extra level of, you know, securing to the fans, especially of both cities, that, hey, we're doing the best we can to make sure, and it's not an arbitrary decision. I thought that was somebody tackling too hard. Well, no, now we can review it and confirm, yes or no, whether that was the case. Mm. No, great point. I agree. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, it's just that that call really, really hurt Atlanta. I really think, you know, it's bad when you speak to a diehard Bucks fan right after the game, and they even tell me that, man, we got a, a gift from that game because – that was a bad call. <laughs> yeah. When they say that we got, we got gifted a win, which we which the Bucks did get gifted a win. But yeah, I did want to get your thoughts on something else. Did you get a chance to see that Deion Sanders drama with Coach Eddie Robinson Jr.? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know. I think we're going to see a lot more of that before it's all said and done because ultimately a lot of people feel like Dion is going to be there, you know, to raise his profile, and then eventually he goes to a power five. So they're looking at him and this whole thing as, okay, this is a spectacle, this is not real, and after all of this is over, we're going to go back to, you know, the way things actually are supposed to be. And, and, and look, it's a beautiful thing that Dion is, you know, bringing all the lights and the money and all this to, you know, to Jackson State, but at the same time, this is not a football factory. These are not football factory schools. They are not built to be that. So, I, like, I, I'm I'm not – I'm just kind of indifferent to the whole Dion thing. I'm going to wait and watch how it plays out. But ultimately, we're talking about HBCUs. They're, this is not what they are there for. And I'm going to tell you, man, there's going to be an English professor that's going to fail somebody before a big game because they do not operate <laughs> the same way that these other places do or, or can. And if they ever did start to operate in that way, they'd all be on probation within six months because, as you all know, when you do things you're not supposed to do, the blue bloods come for you. Ask uh, University of Mississippi uh, or, or, or Ole Miss. When they started getting those recruits, Everybody in the SEC started calling in on him. And, and we're going to see some of that at Jackson State eventually. So I kind of get where he was coming from as far as Eddie uh, Robinson Jr. But at the same time, he could have handled it a lot better. Like, you didn't have to do the physical shove. You could have just said what you wanted to say. Like, you didn't have to let it be known, uh, you know, that much that you were upset. When you get beat down like that, you know, <laughs> you got a little emotional. <laughs> You know, it, it was kind of weak. I want to see that video played side-by-side side with um, 1994 or five, 95 when Dion was with San Francisco that one year, and they, they played Atlanta, <laughs> and he and uh, Andre Risen got into it. A little bit weaker in this one here with Eddie Robinson. It was a little bit of a weak, uh, a weak defense or a weak shove, if you will. I think it was a little bit more uh, dramatic than when it happened back in the 90s there with uh, Andre Risen. So, um well, Maybe Dion needs to work on his technique though. a little bit. Yeah, he was. He yeah, was, he was surprised. Enough, yeah. <laughs> he was. He was surprised. And, and I agree with you. I thought Eddie Robinson Jr. did that to get some clout. I, I really thought that, okay, 
you didn't if you were upset with him, you could have talked to him behind, you know, in the tunnel or something. You didn't have to talk to him right in center field and do that. Like you brought so much attention to it by you doing it right at the time you you handshake. And and the reasons that he said that he was upset with Dion, I just looked at it as it really didn't have any merit to it. I looked at it as Eddie Robinson Jr. to me as coming across as very jealous of Dion and he was looking at an opportunity. You know, when you don't like someone, no matter what they do or say, you're going to find a negative fault in it all the time. You're looking for negativity in somebody. You don't like them, you're going to find it. And he built up all this, this animosity towards him, and he, was, he just let it go in the middle of the field, which I thought was very immature and not good for the sports. I, I hate to see when brothers do stuff like this against other brothers. You, you're coaching at H, HB. S-E, and, and this is not a good look. Definitely, um, you know, raises the eyebrows, and it, it certainly, uh, I would agree with you there, Alan, that it, it doesn't, uh, doesn't provide a good look at all. You're 100% correct on that. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, they could just, you know, let things go and be cool again. But, yeah, that's, that's keep- one of the – I want to get you guys' take though on on Dion because obviously he is a rising name in the in the uh, college football ranks, uh, head coaching wise. Uh, you know, Jackson State is not a big school by any stretch, football wise. I mean, obviously they've had some popularity the last uh, couple of years, but college football is changing a lot with the NIL now and with the transfer portal. And you know, I, I spoke with a friend of mine who a little bit old school in terms of you know the way that college football has been run basically up until the last couple of years. And I said, you know, normally when you see a guy go from a lower, lesser known school to a big, like a power five program, normally it's, he's done something, you know, he's, he's got a certain style of coaching. He has an offensive brand that no one's ever had before, you know, the run option offense or something along those lines. And I'm not really sure specifically what Dion's area of coaching is that kind of stands out. Obviously he was a defensive player and he played some offense as well as an NFL player, but college football has changed in that now it seems like it's more about let's bring in um, something who's, or someone who's going to be able to recruit and just bring in a lot of players. Is that really where you guys feel like this is maybe heading for him and what gives him the advantages? He is Deion Sanders? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that. It's, it's the work with DBs. Uh, I mean, at this point, it's kind of similar to what Saban is doing now where Saban is basically a CEO now. Saban, he works with the DBs every once in a while because that's his, you know, his main thing, kind of where he made his bones. But for the most part, he brings in somebody to run the offense, run the defense, and all of that. And that's kind of what Dion will be doing whenever he does leave. Kind of a corporate, yeah, uh, right, corporate right. league run team. I, li- I, I do like that. that. And Saban is the guy that everybody wants to mimic at this point because obviously he's done so well for 15 years, um, you know, has all the records right, right, and but, all that kind of stuff. But remember, Saban is a I-formation, low-scoring, game-winning guy. But the game mm-hmm. shifted on him, so he had to shift himself, and he had to give all of those duties away after that. But, man, Saban would love to go back to just running the I and winning, you know what I mean, 13-3. But the, the game is different now, so now he's the CEO. Yeah, you're right. And, and if you do get a chance to play in Jack State – because Dion is there, you're gonna get you're gonna get some publicity now, whereas you normally probably wouldn't gotten that. You know, I went to a practice where Dion Sanders was coaching. This was about two years ago before he actually 
took the Jackson State job. And, you know, he has his own social media team. He's still Deion Sanders, so he's very recognizable. He's a very good coach. I think he gets a little bit – he doesn't get all the credit he deserves, but he's actually a very good – with. he has a very good space and a very good act with coaching young men. And that's something that that Deion does do a phenomenal job at. But, yeah, he, he's going to do great by Jackson State. I definitely do think, though, he's got his eyes open for one of those big – Big five jobs, though. I think he wants to maybe coach in the NFL. I think he wants to go up even higher. What are your thoughts on him maybe moving up? Um, well, I mean, NFL, I think that's that's probably something that would be down the road um, to some degree. I think college-wise, and, you know, there's going to be a couple jobs that are probably going to be high after him. I think the Auburn job is going to come open here. Brian Harson's on the hot seat right now. Georgia Tech is open currently. Um of course, we mentioned Matt Rule there before. He might be a candidate at both of those places. And then there might be a few other places, and it may not necessarily be after this season that Dion moves to the next level. I think in the next two years, that's definitely going to happen. I think a lot of people are also looking at Florida State. Now, they've gotten off to a pretty good start, but they've struggled a little bit here the last couple of weeks. And obviously, he's a graduate of Florida State uh, back in the 80s, of course. Um, you know, got the, the chant and everything going there uh, in Tallahassee. So, you know, about a place like like that for him to come back home, that would be a perfect fit for him probably in the future. So, what do you thought? Do you think he's moving? I'm not sure if it. Ha- I mean, yeah, I think it could happen this this uh, this off season. Um, but again, I think he's some some guys. You know, they don't want to just take the job to take the job. They want the, they want that perfect opportunity to come along. And so, you know, I'm not sure that he would take a job necessarily at Georgia Tech. Now, it's a great place for him, too. He spent a lot of time in Atlanta with both the Falcons and the Braves in the early and mid-90s, so there's a, there's a fit there, and I think he would be able to take that program and hasn't done anything in nearly 30 years, and or over 30 years now, and, and you know potentially bring them a lot of recruits and turn that whole program around. That'd be a really interesting thing to see, a good storyline for sure. Yeah, he's going to be successful in, the, in whatever he does, but I definitely – Definitely think he's doing big things already, and I hope he continues success. And, you know, now his son, Shador Sanders, he signed a deal with Tom Brady for Brady brand. What are your thoughts on him getting a a clothing deal with Tom Brady? Well, it's very interesting. It kind of takes this whole entire conversation full circle. You know, we talked about Brady there before with the, um, you know, roughing the passer, uh, you know, penalty that wasn't or that was called and then the kick that wasn't so uh but good for him you know that's, that's good for actually for for brady obviously you're you're bringing in a, a big name and then uh for sanders son you know obviously being able to start you know modeling those uh, brands off there that's a really cool thing too so it's kind of a neat thing how both those things came together yeah it definitely is because i just feel as if you know tom tom brady he's actually a big fan of shador sanders so it's really cool that he already got a clothing deal and he might even get the Heisman too. I mean, that's definitely a possibility as well. So it's amazing how somebody can come into a, a situation and before you know it, they're doing big things. So I think it's great that uh, Shador got that deal and definitely with Tom Brady, you can't go wrong with that combination. Yeah, and, you know, look, here, here's the interesting thing. I don't think Brady's going to obviously play beyond this year, but 
he's old enough to have played with Dion at the end of Dion's career, and I think he was in Washington right at the end there, and he, of course, played for Baltimore briefly. Uh, but then uh, for, you know, Dion's son, you know, if he was in the NFL here in a year or two, Brady would be pretty close to having played with him as well. So um, that just shows you the the length of the career that Tom Brady's had, 20, what, 22 or 23 years in the league. So, Yeah, I know, right? I mean, definitely that's wonderful that he's going to get this deal. And do you think he has a shot to get that Heisman Trophy award too? Uh, probably not this year. I think that's something down the line. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, typically what position does he play? He's on, he's on defense. I think he's a defensive back, correct? No quarterback. Oh, he is quarterback. Okay. Got you there. Yeah. I mean, typically, and this is just the way it is normally it's, it's going to be the big, biggest schools that are going to have those candidates. Unfortunately, it's not always the guys with the best stats. I, I think there's been some guys the last few years that, won it and they won it because they had decent stats but they were also at a bigger school so um i'm not saying it's not a possible thing to happen but i'd say it's probably not likely yeah i wish him the best i hope he does <laughs> it'd be pretty cool you know you never would when it comes to Deion sanders and his people you never count him out so i think it should be really nice to see but time will tell yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. And I see big things for, for both of them in the future. You're absolutely correct about that. Yeah, so definitely I'm I'm hoping that um they have a good shot to get it and hopefully it does well. I also wanted to get your thoughts on Major League Baseball. What are your thoughts on how the playoffs is going to play itself out? Been very dramatic so far. Obviously, uh, you and I actually watched uh, a pretty good chunk of a game last Saturday between – Tampa Bay and Cleveland. Cleveland ended up winning on a walk-off home run. Um, that's what you love about baseball, especially when you get to the playoffs. You know, dramatic moments during the regular season where somebody hits a home run to win a game. Those are huge. Those are big. But a lot of times, you know, it's just one. It's obviously it's one game. It might be a team that doesn't even go to the postseason. Now, like we talked about before with Lou on the line, every run, every hit, every error is so magnified. Every walked batter is so magnified and has so much more meaning and you know i have this uh, game between the dodgers and the padres on right now the thing i'll throw out there too uh the dodgers won 111 games during the regular season that's the most ever by a national league team and they're behind two uh two to nothing uh to the uh, padres right now and you know it's a best of five series and it just goes to show you that postseason everything starts over again doesn't matter how many games you won during the regular season all that's going to factor in is you know, whether or not you're favored to win that series or not. And San Diego so far is playing a really good series there against the Dodgers. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the great thing about playoff atmosphere is that you never know who's going to win because it really depends on the team that gets hot and you really want to get hot right when the postseason starts. That's the cool thing about baseball and, and play and postseason is that every, as to your point, every pitch matters, every, at bat matters. It's really that intense. And every pass ball you let go by can be the difference between losing because runs come at a premium. I'm really hopeful that the Yankees can get past the Guardians because the Guardians do have a young, very, very good, talented team. I think that is one of the teams that people overlook. But they, I've, I've seen them. I even watched the games with you. 
they have very good pitching, and the whole team says zero runs for as many innings as they have, you have to be a special team. Yeah, and you know, the thing is, is you saw last year Atlanta going on the run that they did. They were pretty improbable to win that World Series last year. And the two teams right now that I think are kind of very similar to what Atlanta was a year ago would be Cleveland, as you mentioned there. But then the team that Atlanta is playing right now, the Phillies, you know, they, they um, you know, hadn't had a home home uh, game here in three weeks. And now they lead two games to one. If they win tomorrow afternoon, they knock Atlanta out of the playoffs and they move on to the NLCS, which would be uh, would be a crazy thing to see happen because there's a very good chance right now you could see the Dodgers, I'm sorry, both the Dodgers and the Braves, the number one and number two teams, potentially knocked out in the divisional round. And then you have San Diego and Philadelphia playing for a trip to the World Series, which would be a pretty interesting uh, matchup there. Yeah, and I always felt as if the wild card games, you know, where, where back in the day we had in one game, winner takes all, and even just now we'd have the best of three and the best of five. I think these shorter games – and shorter, I should say, shorter series, to me, are the toughest to get by. When you're winning the best of five or winning the best of three or just a one-game playoff, those are hard. They're very difficult. But I do feel as if if you're going to get any one of the top teams, you got to knock them out in the divisional round because if you don't, there's a good chance that they, you won't knock them out at all. Yeah, and mistakes are going to be magnified, too. You know, that's the biggest thing is, uh, you know, like I said, errors. You make an error during the regular season, it costs you a game. It's not the end of the world. You make that error in the playoffs, and, you know, it costs you a a chance to move on. So we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be an interesting interesting next couple of days. Obviously, we'll have the um, National League and American League Championship Series uh, starting uh, before next week comes around. So that'll be, that'll be a nice thing to watch. Oh, yeah. I'm excited about the playoff series. I'm looking forward to see who makes it out of there. One question I do have for you, do you think the Braves make it out of here alive? Looking at the way this series has gone so far, it hasn't been good. Obviously, they won game two to tie the series up, and they're in Philadelphia right now. The only thing that I have confidence in right now for game – for tomorrow, of course, they have to win in order to keep their season alive. Charlie Morton is going for Atlanta, and he has a 4-0 lifetime record in postseason elimination games for the teams he's played for, and he has a .086 ERA. So I have a lot of confidence in what that's going to end up meaning for Atlanta. You know, if he can continue to pitch like he has in those elimination games, which he's done for uh, both um, Tampa Bay and Houston prior to coming to Atlanta, then I think the Braves are in pretty good shape. Yeah, so I think the Yankees are going to be fine. They just got to get hot, and I would suggest moving Aaron Judge down the lineup, but it should be interesting <laughs> to see. <laughs> we're going to keep you guys posted here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. So, yeah, we're going to discuss our picks now, the NFL picks. So let's uh, yep, we, I hate um, to ask where I'm at in the standings. Last I checked, um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but you were, thir- I think, 38 and 39 overall record. And I believe I was 47 and 38 or something like that. I'll have to look here again. Um, but moral of the story is I have a pretty good lead on you right now. So you, you, you have to basically beat me. Yeah, basically you got to chip away about one game a week for the rest of the year, and, and that will give you a good chance. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a rough 
pick year for me so far. I did get it last year, but this year has been a little rough. But it's still time of the season, and we're going to turn it around this week. Again, this is just for fun and informational purposes. Please do not bet on us because you cannot call us if we lose money. I don't care if you do it on an app or whatever betting service you use. This is just for fun. And judging by Alan's record, uh, you'd probably be losing a good chunk of money. So, <laughs> well, both both of us lost last night. I had the Bears beating the Commanders, who just seem like they are, you know, not in a good position. And of course, the Commanders prove us both wrong and win last night. I think it was twelve to nine was the final score. Yeah, so. I watched that whole game, and there was only one touchdown scored. It is the crazy thing is. It was the only touchdown scored in the last two Thursday night games. It was the first touchdown. If they didn't score that one touchdown, there'd have been two Thursday night games in a row where there's neither team scored a touchdown. Both the commanders, let me just say this, but both the commanders and Bears are not in a good place. Yes, the commanders won, but they're not really that great, and so is the Bears. Both teams are not are underperforming dramatically. Yeah, I think the Bears are in a little bit better spot. They seem to have more of their uh, offense, at least seems to be more uh, in line. Whereas with the Commanders, and I made this comment two years ago when they hired uh, Ron Rivera. I thought that was a great fit there. Um, he might be the next guy on the chopping block as far as coaches are concerned. So he, he, he may be getting the pink slip here, you know, before too much longer. So let's go right down the list here. Um, get the 49ers. Uh, going on the road, they're three and two. They're playing the Falcons in Atlanta, who are two and three. Uh, I've got the 49ers in that game. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I definitely think the 49ers have a very good team. They still haven't met their stride yet, where I feel as if you know they're going to show their dominance, but they're rising up. I have the 49ers beating the Falcons, and although the Falcons are a better team than what their record shows, but I do have the 49ers winning this game. Yeah, Atlanta, as I said before, I think they're a young team. In a year or two, they're going to be really, really good with all those young players they've got there. Um, next game is uh, you got the Patriots 2-3. and three. They're going to Cleveland to play the 2-3 and three Browns. I don't think the Patriots are really in any position to be going forward uh, too well, although they're going to start their third-string quarterback here this weekend. I've got the Browns winning this one, though. I, You know what? I feel as if the Patriots did really well against Aaron Rodgers. They didn't win the game, but I love their effort. They actually showed me something. I feel as if the Patriots are going to have things go their way, and I think the Browns aren't the, uh, the, the Packers. So I got the Patriots actually winning against the Browns. All right, next game is 3-2 uh, and two, uh, Jets going on the road against the 3-2 and two Packers up there in Lambeau Field. I got Green Bay winning this game. Yeah, I, I have Green Bay winning as well, mainly because they're playing at home. I do think the Jets are actually a very good team. And the Packers, they're not the Packers of last year without Devontae Adams. It's called for what it is. But I do think at home with Aaron Rodgers, it's a tough place to play in Lambeau. I have the Packers winning this game. All right, then you got Jacksonville 2-3 and three against the 2-2-1 two, two and one. Uh, Indianapolis Colts. I actually have this as one of my upset picks this week. I'm going to pick Jacksonville to win this game. I agree with you. I have Jacksonville as well. And we're going to go ahead and bring our caller back on. Hey, how you doing? 
Hey, man, you know how it goes. As, as soon as I'm sitting here, the phone never rings. Then as soon as I'm talking to y'all, then people start calling in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's usually the case. You know, if, you know, you're waiting for that phone call. It's nothing going on. As soon as you talk to someone else, everybody blows up your phone. <laughs> you know, but yeah, <laughs> that's just how it is. And but I, when we lost connection, we was just talking about Shador Sanders and his chance of getting that Heisman. Do you think there's a chance he can get it? Oh uh, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close, man. Uh, um, I just don't. I just don't like. What, what do they have on their schedule that will be big enough for them to kind of overlook competition and all that other? You, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's one of the bad things about you know when you're playing in, in like the bigger name market teams. You're right. Even if you do well, they usually don't put you ahead of somebody who's doing well in a, in a bigger conference. If Hendon Hooker does anything, how do anybody beat him, let alone somebody from a smaller school, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's and I, I'm glad near there at Tennessee. Yeah, and I did want to get your thoughts on that. Do you think um, Deion is going to go to a, one of those bigger name te- teams, or you think he's going to stay in Jackson State? Uh, yeah, I do think he ultimately is going to leave. I think he's going to get a really good deal somewhere, and he's going. To, <laughs> I think he is going to leave. That, I mean, dude, like think about it. The team that does come for him, they're fueling up the plane. They're getting the the you know the big alums on there, and, and they're just going to write checks until you say yes. So I, I don't see him staying. Oh wow! So you, so he's going to take that that big bag. <laughs> and, uh, we know anything about college football It's the wild wild west And now with NIL And then alums spending a little more freely Like It's it's just so much money That's going to be involved now That if the school really wants somebody I, I just don't see them failing Do you think he goes yeah. somewhere this off season Or do you think it's uh, Wait for the perfect job you know, potentially Florida State or somebody like that coming along. Yeah, I think it's going to be something like that, where maybe wait a year or two, maybe two years from now, uh, because just because <laughs> just because alums have much more say in how things go, they always had say, as we all know, but they've got even more now. I think some of these coaching jobs, they're just going to. We had a quick timeline before. I think it's even faster now. Like, look at those jobs that are open in the Big Ten. So I think we'll yeah. see things like that all well, the time. And, and the, the funny thing to me about it is this. So the things that they now have made legal, so to speak, for the rules, you know, to, to you know pay players and things like that. I mean, good grief. These things have been going on for 40 years. You go back to, you know, the, the Miamis and the, you know, other teams in the 80s. They were doing this stuff, you know, behind closed doors and under the table. Now it's legal to do it. So now it just makes it a little bit more, um, you know, obviously it's more noticeable. And now guys know they can do certain things. So they're, hey, I'm going to go to the biggest deal I can get. It's not even about, you know, the, the history of a program anymore. That, that kind of gets thrown out the window in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and look, if you thought things were tough for ADs back then, think about now. So if you're the <laughs> yeah. AD, you have to answer the phone at 2.30 in the morning because such and such oil tycoon is on the phone and he wants to yell at you about 
the first half. Pick up their phone. And yeah. when they want a guy gone, they're going to be gone. Look at Venables in, in Oklahoma. Think about how vulnerable he is. Just crazy how, how terrible Oklahoma looks. Yeah, cra- crazy how they went. They start off 3-0, and and I'll, I'll be honest with you. Of all the hires that I saw this offseason, you know, I think there was uh, 10 or 12 big-name, like, Power 5 schools that make coaching changes. I honestly thought, and I, I, Brent Venables is a great coach, despite the fact that they have this bad run that they're on there at Oklahoma right now. But I thought that was a great fit because Oklahoma has historically been a defensive team. You go back to when they had uh, Bob Stoops there. They developed a lot of great defensive players. And, you know, obviously he had been there as a defensive coordinator 10 or 12 years ago and moved on, of course, to Clemson. He gets that job and goes back there. And not only that, but they bring in one of the best young offensive minds in Jeff Levy in the whole country. And now they've lost three games in a row. They got off to a 3-0 start, and everybody said, look, they're fine. And now they can't find their behind from a hole in the ground. So it's kind of crazy how they get beat by Texas 49 to nothing, And now everybody's saying that, you know, Venables is on the hot seat. So it's crazy how just a three- or four-game stretch can totally turn your whole season around. Right, and think about it. You go to some function, some private function, and somebody who's somebody thinks you snubbed them at the function. Now they're talking to three or four people, and now you've got a posse. And the moment you start to slip, that posse will start to put pressure on that universe, and, and you're gone. Like, that's going to be a reality of college football. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's all. It's really now all about the money. Having said that, now that they allow a lot of this, do you think they should give Reggie Bush his Heisman back? Yeah, I mean, it would be the right thing to do, but I guess the Heisman is, is still kind of standing on whatever old raggedy Walter Byers student-athlete nonsense that they try to act like really meant something, which really never did. But if that's mm-hmm. the brand they're still selling themselves as, I can see them doing what they're doing, but I mean, Reggie's going about it the right way. Uh, he's getting a little publicity out of it and making a, yeah. <laughs> a scene out of it. So, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Like, we all know who should have gotten it that year, who deserved it, and who Reggie is. Like, can't take those moments away. Yeah, I, I agree. You can't take those moments away. You may have taken the hardware, but man, he was the year that he got the Heisman, he was the baddest player in college. By by far, he was like a a cheat code in the game. He was unbelievable. What are your thoughts, Aaron? Do you think they should maybe give it back to him? You know, I I don't have a real opinion on that. I can I can make an argument. I think on both sides. Uh, you know, obviously the rules have changed uh, in the fifteen or seventeen years, whatever it's been since everything went down, oh four oh five, whatever year that was. Um, but I think you could make an argument on both sides, and I honestly don't have a, a opinion that's swayed specifically one way or the other. Yeah, I do like what he's doing. He's making kind of fun of it in the Wendy's commercial. So at least <laughs> that's when you know when something is not bothering as much when you can kind of laugh at yourself. That's a beautiful thing. Right. Go ahead and get the money, Reggie. And, and look, I, I'm like you guys don't have to agree with this. This is me just being me. But honestly, uh, I would say – it's more ethical now because the money's on the table. Everything is up front. There's actual contract signed. You're not paying somebody in the alley or giving them an envelope or running it through somebody, through somebody, through somebody. So, so to me, this is a more honest era of college football. And actually what was unjust 
was using student, so-called student athletes to make billions of dollars and not paying them uh, in a respectful way. Yeah. So to me, that was a worse era, a more unethical era. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I remember, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, I was listening to a, a radio talk show on my way home from work one night, and that was one of the things that was made a point on. There was a, a wide receiver who played for – we're both down here in Florida, so he played for the University of Central Florida. And the NCAA rules at the time – stated that you were not allowed to have a job to make any kind of money or make any kind of uh, financial profit off of your um, your likeness, yet the NCAA was making, like you said, billions of dollars a year. You also couldn't hold a job during the season in which you played whatever sport you were in. So, you know, that, that was just kind of twofold there in a sense. And so I really felt like that was an unjust thing. And a lot of this also had to do, um, I don't know if you all ever played video games in the past, but um, you know, the NCAA football game where you had the players oh, yeah. in the game, but their names weren't in there, but you could, of course, go in and edit them or download them from a, a website. And so that obviously started a lot of this. And it, to get to where we're at now, it took a good 10 years of, you know, filing lawsuits and going to different levels of, uh, you know, courts of those lawsuits and things of that nature. So it's interesting to see where it's at. I predict, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, I predict that there will be some major rules changes as we go deeper into the next several years, you know, kind of like there's a salary cap in the NFL. There'll be some sort of a, a limitation on how many players or how much money you can bring in and that sort of thing. I have to see something like that happening. Otherwise it's just going to be, you know, the, the top 10 schools with the most money are going to be the ones with the biggest, uh, you know, uh, recruit class every year. And that's just going to, further push a wedge in between, you know, the bigger and smaller programs. I I agree with you in a sense, but at the same time, okay, that's what it always is. And that's what it's kind of always going to be. The top 10 are the top 10, you know, the blue bloods are the blue bloods. So like, I don't know if that part changes, but yeah, there's going to be a lot more structure though. They're not going to allow this freewheeling. Everything goes. I think teams need to get that out of their system now. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you need to get that out of the system now because there will be some, there will inevitably be some changes. Now, the, the positive thing of what I just said there, you talked about the top 10 or 12 teams or whatever, having the most money to bring in the biggest recruiting classes, which obviously puts even more pressure on each team to win because now it's like, hey, we spend $100 million a year in IL money and you guys only won, 10, you only won seven or eight games. That's going to put that coach in the hot seat a lot quicker. The other thing that's going to make it a little bit more competitive is now – in either 2024 or 2025, you're going to have a 12-team uh, playoff, which I think, you know, it's still going to be the same as it was before where, you know, the top teams like Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia and, you know, maybe once in a while Michigan are going to be the highest-seeded teams. But now you give some of these smaller programs and even some of the um, non-Power 5 schools a chance to get in, like we saw last year with uh, Cincinnati. So, I think that'll make it a little bit more competitive and a little bit more fun to watch too. Because every, you know, you think about this. Now, if you're an, if you're unless you're an SEC school, you might be able to lose two games and still get into the the top four for the college football playoff. Now, an undefeated season is going to probably be more of a rare thing once this uh, twelve team playoff starts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because look, the blue bloods are going to get guaranteed slots into the playoff. And yeah, you're right. The yeah. playoff is going to continue to expand. Uh, because the money dictates that it does. But there are just two factors that matter more than anything else. How many people are going to want to view your team, and how well do you travel? 
Now, the un- <laughs> you know, people don't like to say that, that that's part of the criteria. And, of course, when they get in that big room and talk about who they want to go and all that other stuff, they never bring those two things up. But those two things matter more now than they ever did. Like, you're scheduling whatever game, what used to be the Fiesta Bowl, and <clears throat> there's one school that travels and one that doesn't. Like, come on, man. Like, the commit, they don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> they want somebody from a school that has a lot of viewers as far as TV and people that are going to travel, go to the hotel, eat at the restaurants, buy memorabilia. It, like, the money is just going to dictate that. Sorry. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's really, truly all about the money. But I, I agree with you that it's cool that players now get a chance to make money because – for the, the NCAA, they used to just take all the players' potential of making money, and I just thought it wasn't it wasn't fair. To, to your point, making billions of dollars and you and they can't make anything on the side, I thought was totally unfair. I am glad that they changed it because people do have bills. Why are you going to college? And when you go into these Ivy League schools, these they they call. I mean, yes, you got a scholarship, but you got expenses too, food, all these other things on the side. It's good that guys get a chance to make some money on the side now. Hey, man, look, when you go to work and you clock in, at the end of the week you expect a paycheck. So I I just view this in a similar fashion. It's essentially a job, so the kids should be paid. And that lawsuit uh, he he referred to a minute ago, remember they they had Ed O'Bannon on that lawsuit, and then they went and got the great Oscar Robertson. Because Oscar Robertson found out they were still selling memorabilia at Cincinnati from him from, you know, what, 60 years ago. They were still making money off Oscar, and he wasn't seeing a dime of it. He said, wait a minute, I'll sign on to the lawsuit as well. And he's right about that game. Dude, we were going from dorm room to dorm room, getting all the rosters straight. We were having tournaments from building to building. Like, dude, that <laughs> NCAA game was a monster. We loved that thing. So, yeah, man. Wow. What are your thoughts, Darren? No, I, I agree. Uh, I agree. I think, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing I think is going to be over the next uh, probably not as many years as I'm going to say here, but over the next two or three years, especially until we get to the to the 12-team playoff, how quickly some of these programs, like he was saying before, turn around very quickly because of the money. It is all about that money at this point. So it be interesting to see how uh, And how we get out. from 12 to 16 and 16 <laughs> to 12. Like, yeah. yeah you're correct. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I wanted to get your prediction on boxing a little bit. Who do you think is going to win on George Cambosis versus Devin Haney Part Two? Uh, uh, look, you guys are, are way better experts at boxing than I am. So all I can <laughs> go off of is what I saw that first fight, and I just don't see a route to win for Cambosis. I, like, I just don't like. It looks like physically it's just a, a bad matchup for him. Hayne can sit on the outside and just jab him to death, and then just the work rate, like, I, I just – unless he just catches him clean, and does he have that kind of power? Like, you guys got to tell me, but I, I just don't see a way for him to win. No, I, I agree with you. I do think he'll be a better version of himself. Like, I, I don't think he'll be quite as kind of reckless as he was the first fight. Just, just throwing punches, just to throw. I think you'll have some strategy, but I agree with you. After I think two or three rounds, he's going to get figured out, and then Haiti's going to do what he does best: fight it from the outside, not take any chances. 
and he's just going to outpoint him. I, I do think it'll be more or less the same in the first fight, but I do think George will probably be, a, you know, about 20% better, kind of like what Wilder did in the third fight. It was a little bit better in the beginning, but at the end of the day, it, it's pretty much going to be the same result. Mm. And if anything, I think I think in this this fight here, because I think George kind of has to press the issue to win, I think he's going to eventually kind of get desperate, and I could see George at least touching the canvas. I don't know if he's going to win in a knockout, but I do think I could see George getting getting put down at least once. Yeah. And then and then Longview, I got to ask you guys this: Longview with Haney, how do you sell Devin Haney? Like, does he have to become a mean guy or something? Like, because how do you sell defensive fighter jabber? Like, Floyd figured it out. Hey, I'm going to become the villain. People are going to pay to want to see me lose. Like, how do you sell Haney going forward? That's a great question. I, I You know, Devin Haney is a very good boxer, but he, he's not he's not a Mayweather. He's not flashy and, and things of that nature. But I do think the way that Devin Haney is going to have to do is take on guys like Tank and Ryan Garcia. <clears throat> He's going to have to take on someone who has a big name where boxing fans are going to be like, oh, i got to watch his fight, and that's why I think he's going to make his niche. He's going to have to take on a bigger-name guy and stay in that kind of area, and I think he'll sell fights. Hmm. Because that's really the only way I see, I see him really selling because he's kind of like Floyd, like you said, but less Flash and less – I mean, Devin Haley does talk junk, but he's not Floyd. He's not a great salesperson like Floyd, you know? But I, I think he's going to have to just do like that, fight guys like Tank, Ryan. If he fought a guy like Romero, any one of those guys who are good talkers, I think that would be the best bet for him to sell fights, to do stuff like that. Because on his own, if he fights somebody who's kind of like him, it's going to be like Terrence Crawford. A lot of people who are not big boxing fans are not going to really watch it or care. Mm. And I want to ask you this one question before I let you go. Do you think that fight is going to ever happen between Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I think the bickering over the money, I, I think at this point, whoever drops out really doesn't want to fight because at a certain point, Whatever uh, the pie is, it, it's a stepping stone to get to a trilogy. And I'm sure their camps understand that, and I know they understand that. So to sit there and quibble over 60-40 or, or whatever the, the percentage is they're quibbling over right now, like, dude, this is not a one-off. You guys need three. <laughs> you need a trilogy really bad uh, for yeah. either one of you to get to the superstar level you want to get to because I'm in Atlanta. And I guarantee you, both of them, if you don't have handlers with them, could walk through the mall and com- be completely missed by the majority of the people down there. Wow. So that's that's encouraging. I thought it wasn't going to happen, but you made me motivated now that it might actually turn around and happen. I said it last week that I'm very doubtful, but they they, they both need to take this fight. Let's go. You know, like you said, 60-40, okay, one guy makes a little bit more than you. Next fight, well, whoever wins, if you're the one taking 40%, you can ask for more money if you fight a rematch. You know, take a little less now and take more later, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you go. I mean, how how else can you think about this fight besides a trilogy for it to matter? You know what I mean? Like, if you want to be uh, this era's, you know, version of what Pac May was, I, I mean, you, you kind of need that. <laughs> you need that trilogy in order to get that uh, that rating up to where it needs to be. So, but yeah, we, we'll see, man. But like I said, you know, boxing way better than me. This is just me talking about just. I just don't see how their camps can't see this as far as the money, you know, at the end of the rainbow. Hey, that's a great point. I really appreciate you saying that because you brought up a point that a lot of people sometimes don't even actually see it. So I'm sure the camps do see it. They'll brought it to attention. They'll get it together and they'll fight, if not this year, early next year. And I'll be right there to watch it. But, yeah, definitely um, we appreciate you joining us here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Creator Show. You're always welcome. We missed you last week, but definitely tell people to call after you're off the show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man, exactly. And hopefully I don't get written up uh, calling and whatnot at work. But uh, salute okay. to y'all for me through it. <laughs> I'm about to talk out in a minute. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Y'all always have a good show, man. Salute. We appreciate yeah. you, definitely. <laughs> and don't don't, don't give them the axe at the job. Give them a, give them a break. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you even more now. <laughs> right, always a pleasure. All right, good to hear. Yeah. All right, always good to have a little humor on the show too, for sure. So, yeah, uh, we'll pick up right where we left off there before. I think we were talking about uh, uh, we were in our picks. I think we were talking about yeah. the Jaguars and the Colts. I have Jacksonville as a surprise picking that one. I have Jacksonville too. I do think Jacksonville. They actually have a very good team, and I don't know if your guy's going to start. If if I know he didn't start last week, he might start this week, but I still think the Jags are going to pull it out and win this game. Jonathan Taylor, yeah, I'm talking think, about. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor. I just hope he has. Some, if he does play, he has uh, some, a good game because I've lost three games in a row in my fantasy league now, and of course, uh, him being out does not help. So, yeah. So definitely. We wish the best for Jonathan Taylor, but this one I'm going to have to side with you, agree with you. I think the Jags are going to win it. So Minnesota's 4-1. and one. They're going on the road down to Miami. 3-2 and two are the Dolphins. They're trying to bounce back after losing the last two games in a row. And I've actually got Miami as an upset pick in this game. Oh, wow. Okay, so we have something different here. You know, the Vikings are starting to figure out the running game a little bit. They're starting to get a little bit of swag, I guess. and I think they're going to do a little bit – they'll do well this game because it's not for sure that two is going to play. So I'm going to take the Vikings on this this one. Yeah, it should be a really good game, I think, ultimately. Um, But I I got got Miami. Um, The Bengals, they seem to turn the corner a little bit here. They're going on the road to New Orleans to play the two and three Saints. I have uh, Cincinnati on Sunday. I agree with you. I think the Bengals are starting to make that stride. They're starting to become – look more like the team. They're not there yet. That won last year, all those games. So I think the Bengals are catching a stride. I agree with you. I think the Bengals are going to win this game. Then you got a rematch of uh, the previous Super Bowl. you got the Ravens at 3-2 and two going on the road to play the 4-1 and one Giants. I have the Giants moving on to 5-1 and one after this game. I do, too. I agree with you. I think the Giants are the team that have been more steady, I love what they're doing. They have a very good mix of guys that are doing their thing, not just Saquon. 
I just think that the Ravens, they haven't shown to me that they can close out games, and until they do so, it's going to be hard for me to pick them. I've been burnt three times this year because of that, so I got the Giants. I agree with you. I got the Giants winning. My lock pick is this next game. You got the three and two Buccaneers going into Pittsburgh to play the one and four Steelers. I see the Steelers. Uh, this is going to be Mike Tomlin's first uh, sub five hundred season. I have the Bucks guaranteed to win on Sunday. I have the Bucks guaranteed to win too, but I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a tough game. Games, you know, people seem to really, really bring their A game when they play the Bucks. So there are no easy wins, but I do think it's going to be a tough win. But I do think the Bucks are going to end up winning this game. All right. The defending Super Bowl champion Rams, uh, they're hosting the 1-4 Panthers, who just, of course, made the coaching change this past week. I have the Rams winning this game at home. I agree with you on that one, too. And the Bucks and Rams are both my lock picks. I have the Rams winning this game as well. I do think that the Panthers are going to start off good, but I just think the Rams are going to be a little too much for them. All right, Battle of the Birds up next. you got the 2-3 and three Cardinals at the 2-3 and three Seahawks. I feel like this is a game that the Cardinals really need to win, so I picked them to win. To get them to 3-3, three and three, that's a very winnable NFC West right now. So I, I have Arizona winning that game. Yeah, we got something different on this one. I, I see Dino Smith. He, he loves to step up against other brother quarterbacks. I hate to say it like that, but – I just see Geno Smith with his thing and playing really good against the Cardinals and pulling up a, like a sneaker-type win. I see the Seahawks winning this game. Should be a good matchup there for sure. And then these next two games are probably some of the best matchups we're going to see all week as far as competitiveness. We've got the 4-1 and one Bills on the road against the 4-1 and one Chiefs. I've only picked Kansas City in this game because, A, they're hot, but also it's a home game for them. So I have the Chiefs winning over the Bills. Yeah, that's so why I got a difference on that one. I do have the Bills. I just think the Bills right now have the best team in the league, and I think the Chiefs are a very close second. I just think the Bills have a little bit better defense than the Chiefs, and their offense, both offenses are outstanding. But because of that reason, I feel as if the Bills are going to do their thing and win this game. Should be a good matchup. And then you've got the uh, the Cowboys at four and one, and still you know playing really well with Cooper Rush at quarterback. And they're going on the road to play the last unbeaten team, that's the five and zero Eagles. A lot of good sports going on right now in Philadelphia. I've got Philadelphia winning this team and improving to six and zero. Yeah, this one was actually a tough pick. I do think the Eagles are going to fly high and win this game. I do think the Cowboys are going to make it really tough, though. It's going to be a really, really good game. But I just think the star power that the Eagles have is just going to be a little bit too much for the Cowboys. So I got the Eagles. I agree with you winning that game, too. All right, and then our last matchup is the battle of uh, AFC West teams. We have the 2-3 and three Broncos, who've been uh, somewhat disappointing this season. And then you've got the up-and-coming Los Angeles Chargers at 3-2, and two, and I've picked uh, the Chargers to win this game on uh, Monday night. I, I agree with you on that one. I have the Chargers winning this game as well. The Broncos have been disappointing. They seem like a team that I really can't trust to, to win a game. I hate to say that with a team that has Russell Wilson as the quarterback, but he's been making some really poor decisions, and it's just hard for me to bet on him. That, that last game that he played on Thursday night, was the absolute worst I've ever seen Russell Wilson play. 
both physically and mentally. So I, I have the Chargers there, very solid team. I think they're going to win and beat the Broncos. All right, those are our picks for this week. Remember, do not bet with us because we do not take responsibility for it. And this is uh, just us doing this for fun. If you happen to win a lot of money, we will certainly uh, take some donations here on the program. Again, our show is uh, sponsored by uh, Chef G's Florida Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting. You may need a support group. We're certainly glad that you joined us here on the program tonight. We'll have a lot more content than this coming week. And, of course, uh, into next Friday as we will be towards the end of the month of October. Uh, baseball playoffs will be one for their weekend. And, of course, uh, we'll have a lot of analysis on uh, this week in the NFL and, of course, these baseball playoffs. And, of course, basketball is getting ready to start. you got the hockey kicking off here, starting off here uh, this week. Um, so a lot of great stuff to get to. We're going to have all four major sports going on at the same time um, here before too much longer. So, uh, Alan, anything else you care to add here tonight? The only other things I just wanted to let people know is you got a big weekend of boxing and a lot of great fights for the females. Michaela Meyer is fighting Alicia Bumgarner. I have Mayer winning that fight, and I do have Clarissa Shields winning her fight. So a big weekend in boxing. I already said I have Devin Haney winning. And last but not least, with boxing, I did want to say, you know, best wishes to Brock. Jarvis, who was on our show, a former guest, he's fighting this weekend as well. So a lot of boxing fighting happened all in one weekend. I did also want to go ahead on the air and wish my son congratulations for being the terrific kid of the terrific kid of October. It was September and October, but I also wanted to wish him a happy birthday. My son is turning 12. Man, I can't believe that. It's hard for me to say that. But, yes, he started – yeah, that is right. Yes, okay, yes. Oh, no, he turned 11. I'm sorry. Not 12 yet. 11, he turned 11. My son was birthday is tomorrow, so definitely Alan Jr., AJ, want to wish him a big happy birthday for tomorrow. So Saturday is his big day. He is turning 11. I was, I was dreading 12, but he's turning 11. <laughs> One more year to think about that 12, so that's good. So I know, right? Birthday, AJ. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you so much. So definitely, big shout out to my son. Love him so much, and he puts a smile to my face. And I wanted to say thank you guys for all of your great comments and support of my son and his achievement. And I know you guys are going to be so gracious on his birthday. So thank you in advance for that too. All right, perfect. Well, that's great to hear. And of course, we always like to to throw those shout outs to our kids. Uh, you know, when we can. So certainly good to hear that he's definitely made you proud there, Alan. I'm happy to hear that for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It sure does. <laughs> definitely. Hey, yep. Alan Jr. It's always, it's, it's always a pleasure to have him as a, as a son. It's really a, a gift and an honor. Perfect. Well, for, uh, for Alan and for Lou and for our other guests here this evening. And of course for uh, chef G's for the barbecue sauce, we thank you for listening here tonight. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Evan Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. <laughs> Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.